I understand the concept of having the uh, mid-season tournament. I understand how serious it is in European basketball and how players are able to get up for it, mainly because of the bonuses and incentives that come with it. But for me, the biggest thing is how does the schedule pan out if you put us a, a mid-season tournament in? The NBA is just not happy with the term load management in general. They don't like it. They don't like the description of it. They think a healthy player that misses a game shouldn't be able to under the new resting policy. And they think that they should term it with something else, basically saying that you need to be injured. Load management isn't a valid excuse. I think they should figure out logistics on what it would look like to reseed 1 through 16 for the playoffs. Could you imagine a first round matchup of an Eastern and a Western Conference team? Because it's never happened before. We've never been able to see that besides in the finals. I think a lot of fans could appreciate that. Welcome to the Antonio Gates episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 85. Can't believe I made it this far and still have quite a ways to go. First and foremost, I want to shout out Jordan Schultz. Jordan will not be on the pod today. He's currently traveling. He's actually flying as we speak. We want to wish him a happy Thanksgiving. And don't worry, listeners, we will have him back on next week, as we always do. Today, we have a special guest. Crispy Haynes, a good friend of mine uh, who's worked his way up throughout the NBA. He's Considered a rising star, but he's already a star now. Uh, he's a Yahoo Sports senior NBA insider. He's had stints covering the Warriors, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and most notably, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, you can follow the Fresno State alum on Twitter at Chris B. Haynes and Instagram at Chris Haynes NBA. He also is the host of Post It Up with Chris Haynes podcast. He's worked his way out from the bottom. And before we get into the podcast, I want to kind of talk about his story. Chris is a guy I can relate to in terms of starting from the bottom, having to literally work his way to the top um, from having multiple gigs to writing for free to being a janitor. Chris, for our listeners out there that aren't familiar with your story, kind of give us a brief recap of how you got to the point you are today and, and just basically briefly touch on uh the work it took to get to this point. Because a lot of times people see the final success. They see you in the NBA. They see NBA players' final form, but they don't understand the stress, the anxiety, the thoughts, the doubts, you know, wanting to quit, wanting to kind of go on a different career path. So just kind of briefly touch on that before we get started. All right, CJ, first of all, thanks for having me, man. Big honor. Um, but I, I'll say this. Look, it it was just a just condensed the storyline. Um, I wouldn't be able to have you know, I wouldn't be able to, to uh, get to my path if it wasn't if it wasn't for me being in the social media era, the blog era. Uh, you know, obviously, 15 years ago, uh, everybody had to write for a newspaper, and that was usually the mountain they had to climb uh, to get a higher beat, to get a more higher profile beat. Um, so, you know, with with blogs being out, uh, which allow people to to showcase their talent. Um, uh, it allowed more people to do so. So, you know, I, I utilize that. But long story short, I wanted to cover the, the NBA, graduated from Fresno State, majored in kinesiology, uh, wanted to be a PE teacher, a basketball coach, uh, coach basketball for a couple of years. Then I realized, you know, especially on the high school level, money is not, um, uh, you know, it's not a lot of it at that, at that phase. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I realized, you know, I started, you know, do, during the hours, I started adding up the hours, the practice time, the games. And, you know, it was, it was one season when, when I finished. I'm like, I, I realized by all the hours you put in, 
I'm making about a dollar seventy five an hour. <laughs> you know, just based off of all the practices and all that. So I, I had to quickly reverse course and you know, I wanted to you know, I had a passion for writing and and um, you know, I, I reached out to a couple blogs and they told me, you know, look, you know, you got some potential, you got some talent, we'll work with you, but you have to move to an NBA market. And um and that's the only way we can bring you on. We can't pay you anything, but we can get you credentials. So I chose Portland, Oregon. You know, that was a 10-hour drive, 10, 12-hour drive. Uh, so just in case I failed, it it wouldn't be such a long drive to go back home. And, uh, you know, man, I, it, I just hit it off, man. Relationships that I accumulated, man, and, you know, I, the timing was, was perfect. Um, you guys, you Dame, you guys came along just at the right time. Um, you know, it was at the it was at Brandon Roy's tail end of his career. I, I caught the final year of his his um, his uh, well his his tenure with Portland, and uh, man, it just it just you know my, my it just went up from there. And you know, I got better. You know, breaking stories and getting relationships and uh, getting exclusive stories. Important to tell stories that uh, you know other journalists probably can't get or probably can't tell. And I was able to do that. And, you know, I went from Cleveland to LeBron, then from LeBron to, to Golden State and covering that to, you know, to becoming national. So it, it was basically built on relationships and great time. And definitely it was nothing but God for picking that, picking that, that spot in Portland. No, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I think it's important that people understand that the road to success is bumpy. It's it's like a roller coaster ride. There's a lot of doubt, not just in professional athletes and their sports, but in all jobs and all career fields. So I always like when people kind of share their anecdotes and, and share their stories. And I'd be remiss if I didn't congratulate you on uh, <clears throat> being named a sideline reporter for, for Turner Sports as well. So congratulations on that. I don't think I mentioned that in the open. I can't confirm that, CJ. That's according to sources out there. You know, people people write stuff. So I can't oh, confirm okay. that. But but uh, I appreciate the. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't have to confirm it. I seen you at our <laughs> I seen you at our Tuesday game not too long ago. <laughs> so whether it's true or not, I, you was there, I, I was and it was. I'm pretty sure it was a TNT game. I was covering the game, CJ. Oh okay. <laughs> oh okay. Well, that's what's up, man. Hey, congrats in advance. Um, extremely happy My for God. you. Uh, giving you a quick Portland update to all our listeners out there. We finally got a win. I know it's been a lonely, long road, a lot of losses, a lot of injuries, a lot of turmoil up and down play, but we finally got a win. We looked good. Uh, we looked like we're heading in the right direction. Finally got some healthy bodies back. Um, Dame is getting healthy. Uh, White side's getting healthy again as center mellow starting to come into form. Uh, looking better. We're figuring out spacing, sets, rotation. There's a lot that goes into a season when you have seven or eight new players and then you have injuries that kind of deplete your roster. But uh, I think we're turning the corner here, looking forward to getting back home and playing the Thunder uh, on Wednesday at home after 13 or 14 days on the road. So that's going to be dope. And speaking of Melo, Melo had his uh, season high in his third I am third game now. 25 points, shot 50% from the field. Looked great, had some bounce in his step, got a dunk. Um, I think... In terms of his contributions, he's figuring out spacing. He's figuring out certain play calls, how we play, how we run. He's getting his legs back, getting back in game shape. What were your initial thoughts um, on the mellow signing, first and foremost, and then what you were able to kind of see? Obviously, you've seen our game live in Milwaukee, and I'm sure you've been watching from afar. Yeah, no, I saw the I saw the entire Chicago game as well. Look, y- y'all need to make a move, and I couldn't, you know, 
I know a lot of people say that was a move of desperation. Well, maybe you can call it that, but you know, I, you bring bringing Melo in and him starting immediately just show why. It <laughs> just show the the level of talent you guys needed from from the get go. And um, you know, he's been for the most part. I think he's been filling his role fine. He hasn't done too much. I see you guys you guys drop it off to him in the post a little bit more than I thought you guys would do initially. I thought you would work him in, but then again, you guys need that that third scorer out there, so you guys are going, you know, going from from the gate. But uh, you know, he struggled, missed a lot of shots. Is that Russ or is that just him? I don't know, but obviously in Chicago, 25 points. Uh, really hit that spot up um, jump shot well. I, I think it couldn't hurt. Like this, this, this is one of those situations where like it was a no lose. You know, either he's going to help you tremendously, or you know, always not. There's no, there's no big risk. And and I think for the the ball club with the injuries that you guys have going on, like it, he can do nothing but help. You know, obviously there's some learning curves. Obviously, you know, the ball sticks. Um, uh, you know, sometimes with Melo. Um, but, you know, you guys needed this option. You needed this weapon. And, you know, you guys at one point were second to last in the Western Conference standings and uh, hit, 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 heading right into a six-game road trip. So you definitely needed to pull the trigger on that. And, and it's a good move, and I think you guys are only going to get better from here. I agree. I think one of the things that's underrated about Melo is his personality. Um, he has this stigma attached to him because he's a superstar um, and someone who's impacted the game at a high level, playing in big markets, hitting big shots, being a, a Hall of Famer who's top 20 in the history in NBA scoring, but I think people don't understand what type of person he is. Like, he's a good dude. He's good for the locker room. He encourages players. He knows how to lead. He knows how to communicate and inspire people around him. I think that's an underrated aspect of his game and something that we could utilize in our locker room. Obviously, with the loss of Powell not being able to play this season and probably joining staff, that's another veteran guy, 35-plus, that that we didn't have and we're, expect, we're expecting to have going forward. So that's another way he can help us, obviously, to scoring, the catch and shoot, communication, and being able to throw the ball in the post to somebody is helpful. But I think that communication and being part of that backline defense is, is something that's necessary uh, for us. The NBA is considering reseeding conference finalists. Uh, I talked to I talked to some teammates about it. I've spoken to the executive community about it briefly to kind of feel everyone out and get a better understanding of what this would consist of. I don't have all the details yet, but from the whispers I'm hearing across the league, there's going to be a vote. We're going to kind of figure out what's best for us collectively as players, what's best for the ownership group, and what's best for the NBA in general. Once again, I don't understand the exact strategy for a lot of things that are being proposed, but I do know that the postseason play-in game is something that they are discussing similar um, to Europe, similar to college football. Chris, you've been in the league for quite some time. I'm sure you've talked to players. I'm sure you've talked to owners. I'm sure you talked to GMs. What's the... What's the pulse around the league right now? Is it 50-50? Is it more 60-40, 70-30? What's the difference in conversations you're having with players versus ownership? I think right now uh, I haven't been able to get an exact pulse as far as a number, but what I'm getting is players being confused. Like, oh, let's let's start with the, the in-game tournament. Is that going to get players motivated? Like, we all know what the – the true goal of the season is 
That's to raise that Larry O'Brien trophy. That's it. So are players all of a sudden going to get amped up about a mid-season tournament? And, you know, it's like you're built. I don't like it personally, but you asked about me. You asked about the players. I think, you know, it's just confusing. Like, what is what is the end game? What is Adam Silver trying to invent? Is he trying to invent another level of a champion, a secondary level championship series? Um, that's going to generate as much buzz as the NBA Finals? Or, you know, what, what is it about? Or is it just a money? Is it a money grab? Is this something that's going to, you know, help with revenue, especially with what's going on over there in China? So, you know, that's what players are trying to get an understanding of, you know, because I think if we're really looking, to, looking into this and hoping that the players, and you can, this is where you definitely can speak to this, CJ, if the players are definitely going to get motivated and ramped up and excited about a mid-season tournament. And I think if that's their goal, I think they're setting themselves up. I don't see it. You know, there's a history, there's a tradition with the NBA and how the season is played out. And to implement something like that, you know, I think everybody, including myself, just wants to get more information about what is the end game for this? What are we trying to accomplish? And then go from there. But I'm, you know, I definitely want to hear your thoughts about how you feel uh, that it will be received as they did to get a midseason tournament during the season? I think it's mixed feelings right now um, based on what I'm hearing, based on what I've seen. Obviously, I need a better, bigger, more clear understanding of what the in-season tournament looks like because, like you said before, I'm confused. I'm, I'm very familiar with Europe. My brother plays in Europe. He's, he's in Russia right now. I've been to the Euro Cup tournament. I've been to the... Turkish League tournament. I've seen the Spanish ACB League. I understand the concept of having the uh, mid-season tournament. I understand how serious it is in European basketball and how players are able to get up for it, mainly because of the bonuses and incentives that come with it. They're able to make more money. They're able to actually win a mid-season championship trophy and kind of accomplish some goals um, within the season as they pursue that last championship towards the end of the year. But for me, the biggest thing is scheduling. How do you schedule it November, December? So I, I need to see a breakdown, and I'm sure they're going to provide that um, for us. But how does the schedule pan out if you put us a, a midseason tournament in? Obviously, they're trying to reduce the season schedule to 78 games. That's another factor you have to weigh in. Less games means less revenue, so they're trying to figure out the balance between the collective bargaining agreement and how much money we're going to generate. Obviously, with the TV deal expiring in a few years, they're trying to figure out ways to land the next lucrative television deal uh, in terms of revenue. Obviously, streams are down. People aren't watching cable television as much anymore with Disney+. Plus. You have all these different um, sources and resources, ways to watch um, sports. You got apps. You got the MBT, NBA TV app. You have your phone now to where you can really watch games. So I think the NBA is trying to figure out a way to make the game more appealing, trying to draw more viewership in, trying to make fans have opportunities to bet. Like Obviously, the revenue and gambling is another aspect of this. So I think all those things are playing a factor in them trying to be creative with the game. For me, I think if they can figure out how to do it and make it productive to where if it's a 78-game season, are certain teams going to play more than 78 games? If so, how is that beneficial to them? You know, looking at load management, looking at how teams have cautiously, uh, optimistic, cautiously optimistically moved around resting players versus trying to maximize uh, regular season wins. Like, how do you weigh that factor? If you lose in the first, if you lose in November in the middle of the midseason tournament, do you have a week off? Like, is that something that 
that they're going to be willing to do for players and for teams. So I think those are my questions. Right now, I'm indifferent about it. I need more information. I need to really, truly understand how they would do the midseason um, tournament. I could... I could be interested in it depending on the numbers, depending on the scheduling, the travel, how they coordinate everything. But I think the biggest thing for us players right now is getting a gaining a better understanding of how they're going to execute it and then figuring out what it does for that bottom line. Because as you've as you notice in this sports business, money a lot of times moves the needle. And right now we're in a position where we're probably going to be losing some money based on what we've seen with some of the issues between the NBA and China. And that's why, and, and you hit the nail on the head initially, um, talking about the incentives. You know, because in Europe, you know, there, there's bonuses and things that go into it uh, for those midseason tournaments. So I would think that would have to be in play um, if if they want to make that a success. But I still have a hard time believing after you guys win, say you win that midseason tournament. You know, I, I don't know when it's going to be. Is it January? But if you guys win that, or are you guys jumping up and down, celebrating, and, you know, pouring <laughs> champagne in the locker room? You know what I mean? It's like it, it, th- th- that tradition is not built here with the NBA like it is over there in Europe. You know, and so it, it, it's going to be really difficult. And I, I applaud Adam Silver because he's innovative. He's always thinking about the next phase of which is going to take the NBA to a to a, di- a different um, stratosphere, I applaud him. I, I just got I really have concerns of, about if people are going to really get up and get excited, fans and players. So your biggest concern is the excitement of it. Understanding if players will take it seriously or not, will they really celebrate it? How it changes the game. What you like most about it is that it's unique and it's innovative. Is that correct? I like yeah, I like that. But but CJ, that's the main thing. Like if it's going to be successful. You have to generate buzz and excitement, and that has to be with the fans have to feel that. Also, the players have to feel that because if because what they don't want happening is a low management situation during that midseason tournament. And if that is the case, that's going to let everybody know that the players do not value that midseason tournament and they do not take it seriously, that the end goal is – in June, the NBA Finals. So that that is very important. If they can generate this buzz uh, from you know within, get the players on board, get teams to focus on that midseason tournament and the game plan and strategize and schedule their load maintenance around that to where players won't miss time, and then that's where you can kind of get the fans on board because they see in that hey the league and the players are taking this seriously. I just don't see it, guys. I really don't see it, and I really don't see you guys celebrating. <laughs> Right after y'all win that thing, pouring champagne. Do you do you get a middle? Do you get a mini uh, mid-season parade in the city after winning that? Like, come on, like what what are we doing here? But look, I'm open. I, I, I'm open to you know seeing how how it will play out. I, I need more information. Like you said, I'm indifferent. Uh, but I, you know, that's that's just my concern. Now you bring up some great points about the mid-season parade. How serious the, the players are going to take it. I think <laughs> the point the point being is that. There has to be some sort of incentive. We are all driven by incentive in this world. It's sad, but it's the truth. Uh, performance incentive, playing-based incentive, paying-based incentive. So if you want people to be excited about it, there needs to be a reason for them to be excited about it. Does this change playoff standings? Does this help seating? Does this help conference record? Does this help in-conference record? How much money are players going to make to play a tournament in the middle of the season? And then what's the, like you said before, risk versus reward, how important is it to the team, is it to the players to have success in this versus having success in April, May, and June? So that's a 
interesting situation to be in. And I think that'll kind of swing how the incentives are based going forward because they have to understand and we have to understand that the game is important. Figuring out ways to be innovative with the game is also important, but you have to still be able to, you know, keep that sense of uniqueness about the NBA. And historically, the NBA Finals has been the biggest prize of them all. Coming up after the break, we'll take a look at the NBA's proposal for a new playoff format, which includes a playing game. We'll discuss if this is a good idea, so don't go anywhere. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Looking at some of the other proposals they're potentially trying to make, do you think it's more realistic and easier for them to execute a reseeding of the Final Four or having a playing game with a 9 and 10 seed? Oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord. <laughs> See, I'm, so, I'm sorry to be you know this. You, you know this is, this, is, this is a part of the proposal. Yeah, look, I, I'm sorry for being a pessimist with this situation, with this topic. I'm really sorry. And I'm not one to be a traditionalist. You know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think what happened 100 years ago just because it was right 100 years ago means that we got to keep it going just because it's tradition. I'm not all about that. But I am with great ideas. You know, I am with, with, with uh, ideas that make sense. Look, all right, let's talk about the receding right here real quick, CJ. I have a hard time believing that, okay, for the last 10, 15 years, whatever, whatever it has been, the Western Conference has been the – the power conference. Okay. So it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. I have a real tough time believing that Eastern conference owners will vote to reseed to play a Western conference team, you know, the round before reaching the finals. Why would an Eastern conference owner approve of that? It makes no sense. Like you at least want to give yourself a chance to get to the finals to play um, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Blazers, the Rockets. You know, you want to give yourself a chance. You know, when you get to that point, you take your chances. But why would you want to, why would they want to reseed and play a Western Conference team the round before the finals? I, I don't get that. I don't understand it. And then we get to the playing game. I know James Harden said it. 
earlier earlier today. Like, is this college? And what are we talking about here? A playing game? Well, I mean, you can make the case that we got too many teams in the playoffs uh, already. <laughs> a playing game? What? Look, what, why? Why do they get a playing game? Eighty-two games wasn't enough enough time to figure out if this team was good enough or not. You know, come on now. I'm, I'm serious, CJ. Like, at, at a certain point, we got like, look, can we just stick to stick to the game of basketball? Stick to some of the rules and guidelines that we have instead of implementing all these kind of loopholes to get loop. Why do we need, look, for the light, I'm going to get off my soapbox, I'm going to let you go, CJ, but, you know, in the Eastern Conference, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to the first couple of rounds of the Eastern Conference unless it deal, unless it's involving those two teams. Because usually it's involving about two teams in the Eastern Conference who you think have a legitimate shot to win a title. And most, a lot of times, only one team in the Eastern Conference. So why do we need another team in the playoff field that has no business? Like, that's not going to be able to compete for a championship. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. I'm, it they're very interested in hearing your thoughts. Yeah, um, my thoughts are along those lines. I would argue one thing, though, because we know the Eastern Conference historically hasn't been on par with the Western Conference in terms of Record, right? You look at the eighth seed, ninth seed, tenth seed in the East versus eight, nine, ten in the West. Um, historically, they're five, sometimes four games under five hundred, and still having a shot at making the playoffs. Whereas there's teams in in the West who are eight games, ten games over five hundred and barely getting in the playoffs. If there's a reseeding, chances are some of those Eastern Conference teams could potentially have a better record than the Western Conference team, mm-hmm. right? Which means they would be in position to host host a game against the Western Conference team, which would make it interesting for from a fan viewership standpoint. But your argument is valid. If I'm an Eastern Conference team owner, right, why would I want to play a Western Conference team early when I don't have to? Like, that makes sense. Unless... You're really confident in your team or you're really just about your money because do you think people would pay more to see East versus West before the finals? That's what you have to kind of decide from an ownership standpoint. Do you think fans would be more eager to see Boston hypothetically play the Clippers in the semifinals or the Blazers to play Miami, even though that's a long flight with a lot of commuting back and forth? Do you think fans would be more excited about that? that opportunity to see it before the finals. I think they're looking at every angle of it, which is what you're supposed to do. But then I think, like you said before, the game is being lost in this discovery moment of us trying to be creative, trying to change things. Like It's like when you're in a relationship, sometimes just doing the basics is enough. You don't have to be too creative. It's just like on the basketball court. If Kawhi can dribble to the left elbow and pull up, why is he going to do three spin moves and and, yeah. and do a hezzy crossover? You know what I'm saying? It's just like do what works, get to your spot, bang, move on. I think the NBA is at this point of discovery right now where they're trying to be creative. They're trying to check all the boxes and figure out exactly uh, the pros and cons of adjusting the game, changing the game, trying to make the game more appealing to the casual fan. When you came on, when I interviewed, let me see, when I interviewed you and Dane a few years back uh, over dinner, I brought this up to you before. This, this, this was my proposal. I, I feel like, it, you know, it goes back to what you said. What if Portland and Miami played together and you talked about the logistics, the travel situation? That'd be a long route for both teams. 
And I, I think we're, I think there's definitely ways around scheduling that and, and trying to make it as convenient as possible for both teams. I'm in favor of, you know, this is not being proposed, but look, I, I believe that, look, if you want to keep the top eight teams in each conference, fine, but let's do it and then recede from there. You know, that way, you know, so I, I think it, well, in, in the same way with the All-Star game, you know, I'm with the, with the All-Star game. Let me go back to that. That's what I was talking about. That, that's what it was the All-Star game. Let's, since there's no more East and West, let's put the top 24 players, you know, uh, and, and regardless of East or West Conference, just pick the top 24 players because there's a lot of times where we talked about the discrepancy in the conferences, the star power. There's more star power in the West than the East. Okay, then let's not let's not limit a CJ McCollum player because he is a star player. Let's not let's not limit him and his chances and his opportunities because he happens to play for, in the Western Conference. Let's not do that. And if if we really have taken away the East West um, um, subplot of the All Star Game, which that has been the case over the last few years, then okay. Give me the top 24 stars in the NBA. Let it be like that. And it's, 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 it still shouldn't be the same. It still shouldn't be East-West because there's a bunch of players in the East who are not better than seven or eight players in the West. And so, you know, if we want – there's just a lot more – I brought that up because there's a lot more things that we could be changing um, that, that will actually make sense. And I'm not saying that what Adam Silver is doing is not making sense. I know he's being creative and trying to get the opinion of everybody. And a lot of times these things leak out to see how the public perception is going to, going to take it. And so I get it, but I don't get it, if that makes any sense. No, no, I hear what you're saying. I think that's something that, that should be considered. Since everything is on the table, I think they should figure out logistics on what it would look like to reseed 1 through 16. For the playoffs, I think you talk about people being able to watch games, people wanting to wager and gamble on games. Could you imagine a first round matchup of an Eastern and a Western Conference team? You imagine like the excitement around that, the buzz around that, because it's never happened before. We've never been able to see that besides in the finals. Like you think about how fans would perceive that. You think about how television networks would perceive that if if an Eastern Conference team gets a chance to to be able to watch LeBron in the playoffs. Think about like when you're on the Western Conference, you only travel to the East once. So we're only going to New York once. We're only going to Miami once. We're only playing those teams once. For those players, star players from the West to be able to come back here and vice versa for East Con- Eastern Conference stars, uh, I think a lot of fans could appreciate that. So that's a good point. It's something that should be brought up. And then the reseeding and re-strategic strategizing of the All-Star game. That's a that's a brilliant point, figuring out how to get the best players in the All-Star game instead of instead of the uh, equal um, equal value of uh, amount of players from each conference. They've already re-strategized the draft aspect of it, televising the draft, figuring out ways to make fans feel more included. But now being able to just pick the top 24 players, I think you I think you might be on to something with that one. I think that would be cool. And I'm not just saying I'm not just saying that because that, that makes my chances better. I'm saying it because I think it would be cool. You <laughs> you didn't agree with me a couple years ago, if I recall correctly. What what's changed since then? I didn't. Maturity. People change. Times change and you start to get a better understanding of what you're seeing. And I think not just the all star stuff, but 
I just came off a road trip where I was gone for 13 or 14 days, and I just flew from Chicago to Portland. I landed at 1.35 a.m. I got home at 2.15 a.m., and I'm off today, right? This is considered an off day, and I play a game tomorrow. That was a long flight, but when you're in the playoffs, the games are spread out. Like, you're not playing every day. You know what I mean? There's a break in between, uh, depending on how far you go in the playoffs. Some days there's two, sometimes there's two games or two days in between each game. So there are technically ways to structure it um, to where there's proper amount of rest in between games in the event that there's travel from east to west. And I think the, the furthest flights are obviously, if you have to go to Miami from the west coast, that's a long flight. If you have to go to New York from the west coast, that's a long flight. But as it, as it stands right now, there's only one team in New York that has a chance at making the playoffs uh, this season. So you wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily have to worry about that long trip right now. <laughs> I see. And I want, I want to add this point, CJ, uh, to the receding of the, the playoffs. And you said it, it would be good to, you know, for fans to see the, the East versus the West and you know, open rounds of series. The problem I would have with that, the only downside to that would be the quality of basketball. Because then you have a scenario where a lot of these Eastern teams are eliminated in, in quick fashion early on. <laughs> <laughs> just, so you're saying it would just be the, it, the, it'd be the West versus the West towards the end? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's like, and then, and then, then, the, then the NBA has, you know, uh, uh, the, the TV viewing problem now. Because now the, the East, they're like, oh, okay, our, our teams aren't in there. Why are we looking? Like who wants to see an LA on LA or Houston on Golden State? Because that's what that's what happens, CJ. I'm sorry. You we you do the receding. The East team majority of them are, are gone early on, and then, then what? <laughs> you know, then what? So that, yeah, that's the only that's that's, the that's something you have that. to take into account. There's a reason why they haven't done receding. Uh, Exactly. I'm sure that they don't want to come out and say that, but I'm sure there's a reason why when they look at it, they talk about logistics, they talk about travel, they talk about matchups, they talk about the history of the game. But when it comes to reseeding, when it comes to a playing game, a midseason tournament, the history of the game isn't talked about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. The history of the game That's is only true. spoken about when it's convenient. That's and there's true. a reason why. That- so I think... I think they got the, they got some issues at hand. I think these are good problems to have because regardless, it's going to make the game more innovative. And some people will think it's more appealing. Uh, historians of the game won't like it. But I think at some point change is going to be needed. I'm not sure what type of change that, that will consist of. But I think it will be cool um, to see what happens going forward. Stay tuned because after the break, Chris and I will be breaking down the new load management memo released by the NBA. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The NBA has released another memo on load management. Uh, shout out to my guy Kawhi taking care of his body, man. I'm, I'm, I like to see guys take care of their body, especially um, understand the type of miles they put on it, understanding the type of doctors you have to have around you, the type of soft tissue work you have to to get on a day-to-day basis. And I think the casual fan doesn't understand the trauma our bodies go through. And they can talk about how Michael Jordan and a lot of players played 82 games. And that's true, they did. A lot of those old players, you know, historically, um, they traveled commercial, they wore Converse's, they did a lot of that stuff and were able to, to hold to hold up. But it's now it's just about education, being smart with travel, being smart with your body and understanding when you're at higher risk for injury. So with that being said, the NBA is just not happy with the term load management in general. They don't like it. Um, they don't like the description of it. They think a healthy player that misses a, a game shouldn't shouldn't be able to under the new resting policy. And they think that they should they should term it with something else, basically saying that you need to be injured. Load management isn't a val- a, val- a valid excuse. Um, how how do you feel about load management as a as a guy who covers the league? I think as a fan, you don't like it because you pay money to go see a game. But as a player, you understand it because there's been times where I could have sat out games because I was nursing injuries and I played anyway. Whether it was right for me to play anyway is to be determined. But I've, I've surely played in games where I could have sat and used the rest to kind of recover from some nagging injuries. Oh, this is a tough one because I, I get both sides. I definitely get the team side. When they have a, you know, they have loftier goals uh, to try to obtain, and so I, I get that understanding when you when you have a player who has a history of injuries, uh, and maybe that player is healthy enough to play right now, but you, you know you're, you're thinking about down the road, and then I get for the fans, you know, there are fans who aren't your everyday season ticket holder type fans. They're the ones that pick two or three spots um, out of the whole NBA calendar. And say they're going to that, and then that, that one game that they go to, the star player is out, and so I I, I get their frustration. I understand it. <clears throat> now, is there a remedy? I, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't think so. Um, I see the NBA is trying to get rid of. They basically trying to get rid of load management altogether. Like they want players to just have an injury. And the problem with that is, is that look. <laughs> obviously, there's ways to get around that. You know, player can say, "Hey, I got a sore ankle." I got a sore knee. I'm, I'm sitting it out. So they label right. it, label it a, knee, a knee issue. When, but when you guys know, you, you guys are banged up all year. You know, you can literally sit for anything each and every game. And so that's really not being transparent and, and truthful. Um, and then you get to the last, say, say you get to the tail end of the season. Okay, this is where I feel for the team. So you're telling me that a team that has their position locked up, there's really nothing else to play for during the latter stages of the regular season you see your seat is locked up you got home court whatever you're telling me they're not allowed to sit their star players three games and just really call it sitting really call it load management it really has to be termed an injury that's where i kind of side with the team in that regard uh, but it's tough cj man because it's like look you know i wrote a story on this a couple uh, about a week ago lebron james you know he kind of like killed a lot of AAU coaches and you know and saying that they're not looking out a lot of them, not at all, but a lot of them aren't looking out for the players' best interests um as they're coming up the high school ranks. A lot of these, especially the star players, 
and I want to ask you this, CJ, a lot of these star players, AAU star players, they're playing around 85, 90 games a year. If you, if you add in their high school schedule, AAU, and then the top, the top ones, you know, playing for their Team USA at 15, 16, you know, that's seven games. And then that's not even including practices and, and pickup games. And so I want to ask you, how many games did you play? Would you, would you say, what's the most games you play in, you know, in one year, you know, during your high school tenure? And do you think that had a part to play? Because you suffered some injuries in, in college as well. Do you think that had a part to play in the injury you got you had early on? I absolutely think my load was mismanaged as a kid. I think it's natural. You don't understand your body. You don't understand the severities of playing too much. You're always outside. I played all sports. I ran track. I would go from baseball practice to AAU basketball. Like I would literally be in my baseball pants and go right to AAU basketball practice. So I'm just talking about a guy who played sports all year round and was still working out every day at hoop. And then would go play AAU. I played travel baseball. So I definitely overdid it as a kid, but it, I'm glad that I did because I was able to build relationships. I was able to learn uh, from other sports, you know, the agility in football, the, the the teamwork, the toughness that I got from football. I could take that to basketball, the the hand-eye coordination in baseball. I could take that to basketball, the the quick twitch muscles in track, the high jump, the long jump, the stuff I did in that allowed me to play basketball. Did I overdo it at times? Absolutely. Did I play six or seven games in a day in basketball in AAU, yes, I know they've changed the rules now. You can't play as many games um, now as you could back in the day, but our usage was ridiculous. All we did was hoop nonstop. And if you played football or baseball, you were doing those sports and still hooping. So, I mean, if there was 365 days in a year, I mean, I'm not going to say like a crazy number, but just put it like this. I had AAU tournaments every weekend and I played middle school basketball. When I got to high school, I had AAU all summer. I worked out in the mornings at seven before class at nine. I would practice with my team and then I would shoot at night. So there was just like a constant flow of me playing basketball. It helped me sharpen my skills. It helped me sharpen my tools. But was it a lot on my joints? Absolutely. Was it a lot on my knees, my ankles, tendonitis? Did I have tendonitis my freshman year in college? Yeah, I couldn't play without my, without my band on my knees because I was still growing and I was fighting tendonitis from over usage. So I get what LeBron is saying in an aspect of, these AAU coaches are just trying to win games a lot of times, but there are some coaches that truly do care about you, your development. But as a parent, you have to be cognizant of your child's load. I think you should allow them to play other sports because they'll get burned out from playing one sport. I think you should also allow them to have time off, go on vacation, step away from the game. Kobe talked about it with his daughter's team. There was a, there was a woman on the team that had a dance recital so she couldn't make it to a tournament. And people thought that Kobe was was talking down on her, but in reality, he was he was just stating the fact that she wasn't there, that's why she wasn't pictured. And then Kobe showed himself at a dance recital at 12 or 13, dancing like Michael Jackson. And he literally took a week off of basketball or 10 days off of basketball to focus on dancing because he enjoyed it. I think those things are healthy, but I think you have to find that balance because, like you said before, I'm not, I don't regret it. I wish I would have managed my load a little differently in terms of how much I was working out and how long and hard I was playing outside. I was playing in every pickup game I could I would minimize that more and just focus on individual development so that I don't have tinnitus going into my freshman year you know what I mean because that stuff hurts in the long run and I did four years of college was like an eternity of conditioning and just kind of running yourself into the ground and then NBA teams and personnel wonder why they get a rookie in the league and he has the body of a 28 year old he has the knees of a 30 year old because of the the wear and tear he's gone through um, throughout his career 
And that's and that's where CJ, where I, I think it has to be up to the NBA to adapt because that that rigorous high school schedule that you just talked about, you know, and, and a lot of people say like, why are you why are you playing all those AAU games? Well, a lot of you guys like had to play in those games. Well, I ain't gonna say had, but a lot of you guys felt an obligation to play all those games so you can be could get seen. So you could get those those rankings. So you know, exactly. and also I, I understand that, and that's why I think it's up to the NBA. I don't know if they have a role to get involved with AAU um, uh, high school basketball to try to implement rules and guidelines and and to limit a certain amount of games a kid plays per year, or if their only obligation is to adapt the NBA schedule because now they know that they're getting kids like. Michael Jordan, those guys didn't play. Well, this, this is my take. Uh, Jason Kidd kind of schooled me on this, CJ. So I was telling Kidd, because before I wrote that story on LeBron, I was like, well, you guys weren't playing all those games like, like these um, kids are playing now. So they're coming in banged up. You, you didn't have the schedule. And Jason Kidd was like, nah, nah, Chris, you're wrong. We played more games. And we played outside. <laughs> we played outside. That's true. The yeah. outside wreck is what kills you. <laughs> so if that's the case, if that's not changing, then if the NBA wants to kind of curb this load management, eliminate that, I don't see any other option but to reduce games. But I know that's something that the NBA is not willing to go down because of lost revenue. But if you really, if we're all, if we're all really, really for the betterment of the game, making sure it's high, it's a high quality product, making sure you're looking out for your players. CJ, I don't see no other way. Like going, going, taking it from eighty-one to seventy-eight, is that really doing anything? Like I still think Kawhi is going to sit out the same amount of games he would <laughs> if, if it was eighty-two. Like. I don't get it. He he's still playing sixty five, right? He's still gonna get sixty or sixty five in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that seventy eight to eighty one. I don't know what that four games does. I think uh, honestly, when I seen it, I was like, wait, that's it? I think they were trying to figure out a way to reduce the schedule while not losing too much money. That's that that's the only reason why you go from eighty one to seventy eight, and then you figure out how to reduce the preseason and maybe move the season up, but. Think about three games. We play that in a week. Yeah. Like I, I do three and four nights. Like it's nothing. We just did. We just did <laughs> three and four nights, and then we did five games in what nine days? Man. Five games in eight days. Man, no, that, that's just that, one week. You basically shortening our season one it's, week. It's not. That's what I'm saying. That's that's not that's not going to cut it. It's not. And look, it's it's all about revenue. It's all about the income. Not losing money. And like I said, the NBA is in a tough situation right now financially. Uh, you know, especially with what went on this summer. Um, so I, I get why they don't want to. But look, at the end of the day, I think they have an onus to look out for the players. And if the players are already coming up banged up, I mean, look at Zion Williamson, for God's sakes. I'm not, you know, and I can't say that, you know, his high school schedule is what led to his career, you know, led to, the, you know, start off early. But look, it, 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 can't, it, can't, it couldn't have helped. You know, it, it couldn't have helped. And uh, I think they have to, they have a, if you want your stars to play this league for a long time, play healthy and, and shine as long as they possibly can. And I think you have to try to figure out a schedule that's going to be beneficial for guys who have injury histories. LeBron is one, LeBron is, you can't compare LeBron to anybody else. LeBron is LeBron. How he was able to stay so healthy throughout a 17 year career, I don't know. But there's, 
no, there's nobody else like LeBron. So you have to look out for the, you know, the benefit of, of the players as a whole. I think he's got to find something else that's going to be reasonable. Yeah, and I think that's the job of the players and the organizations along with the NBA is to kind of communicate and, and figure out what makes the most sense. So I look forward to this this dialogue and this discussion that we're going to have. And um, before I let you go, man, I, I appreciate you sharing your insight, sharing your knowledge. I got to talk about a player in two teams, just some, some brief NBA notes. Mm-hmm. Joel Embiid, this is just, this is on my news and notes. Joel Embiid mm-hmm. went 0 for 11 last night versus the Raptors. He scored zero points in the game for the first time in his career. I've played against the Raptors. Um, historically, they've been a great defensive team. Their coach is a mastermind at developing plans to stop players, whether that's boxing one, triangle and twos. They have the personnel. How good do you think this Raptor team is? Uh, obviously, they're playing without Kyle Lowry. They've been banged up. They went 17-5, and five, I believe, last year without Kawhi Leonard. How good is this Raptor team? And is it the players? Is it the coaches? Is it a combination? How have they gotten to this point to where it doesn't matter who they have out there? They're still figuring out ways to win games. It's the players. It's the coaches. And it's the, it's the newfound confidence of coming off of a, a championship season. You know, it's, it's all of those things. And... You, I'm glad you gave credit to Nick Nurse, man. He he was a star coach in the G League for a while, and just patiently waited for his time to 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 be called up. And you know he's got that call. He, he hasn't you know he hasn't turned back. Um, you know even without Serge Ibaka, you know as of right now, they, they still they're still playing crazy great ball. But I will say this: when it goes comes to Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid, CJ, there's no excuse. There, there, there's absolutely no excuse for going in to the team that eliminated you and coming out with zero. Look, and you know, CJ, you played around, you played with big men for, for, for most of your, your high school career or whatever. And usually with big men, right, they have to depend on the guards to get them the ball. So you always, I remember when I was in high school, our big man didn't have a good game. Oh, you didn't feed me the ball. Y'all, y'all ball hogging. I'm, you know, I'm posting up. Y'all ain't looking at me. Y'all ain't finding me. But it's a little different in today's game because a lot of the great big men in the NBA now, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, they are bringing the ball up themselves. They're coming out on the perimeter and getting the ball, and they're effective doing it. So there's really no excuse for Joel Embiid to go into that city and lay an egg. There's no excuse. Like, you can't, you can't say your teammates didn't find you. You can go out and get the ball. You can go out and shoot a three. You can go out and initiate the offense. So I, I, I want to be clear. I want to give all the credit in the world to the Toronto Raptors. Great defensive team. They got confidence. Pascal Siakam is a star. He's going to make the all-star team this year, rightfully so. They're, they're, they're playing great. I didn't see it. I thought they were going to collapse as soon as Kawhi left. I thought they were going to collapse. That hasn't been the case. But there is absolutely no excuse whatsoever for Joel B to go in there and lay an egg. A 7-3 dominant big man, inside-outside type player, cannot do that. That was very, very disappointing. Yeah, I was surprised, honestly, because he's such a talented player that I figured he would get at least eight to ten free throws because of the way he plays. He draws so many fouls. He plays around the basket. And to have 13 rebounds, I figured he'd get a putback or two because that's, that's easy money for him. But I think it was a combination of things. 
One thing that's very underrated about Toronto is the city itself. So I wonder how many days they were in Toronto before this game. Because that might that may have been the other factor. Because it's hard for me to imagine him just, cool. just going cool. out there and that's scoring cool. zero points. It's like it's like when the Houston Rockets went to Miami and lost by 50. Like, there's a reason why they lost by 50 in Miami. It's Miami. <laughs> and they were off on Saturday and Sunday and played a Monday game. Like, you Sundays Sundays in Miami are undefeated. Shout out to shout out to Kiki on the river. That place is special. But yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, like that. That is a very good point. Uh, you know, Toronto is undefeated. You know what? Let me look. Let me look at. Let me look at this. Hold on. We can't. We can't. We can't just. Let me see. Philly, because I, I got it right here. Their schedule. Because I wanted to spell this right now. But I don't want. I don't want to lay. All right. So they play. Philadelphia played Miami at home Saturday, and so they must have gotten to Toronto. Early Sunday morning, and the game was what? Yeah, and there's no excuse. Either. No there's excuse. No excuses. We, we can't make this. No we excuse. can't make that an excuse either, huh? I love Toronto, but there's certain points where the love is real during the season, and the love is really real for me in Toronto around May, June. What's the weather like in Toronto right now? It's probably really cold. Yeah, it, uh, come on, it can't be that much action going on right now, in Toronto. I, I don't. I don't get it, CJ. I don't get it. And look, I don't want to. I'm not trying to bash Embiid, but look, he, there was just no aggressiveness at all. And that's the team that eliminated you. It, you gotta, you gotta come better than that. And and you, you guys, you know, 82 game season is a long season. You're going to take, you're going to take your your bumps. You're gonna take. There's going to be some days you don't feel it. You know, I get that. You, everybody's human, but zero points. Uh, oh, yeah. boy, that's, that's hard. That's hard to fathom. Yeah, I agree. And the last thing I wanted to talk about, last person, is Luka Doncic. Um, give me some adjectives to describe Luka Doncic. Oh, man. CJ, look, I, I'm going to be real with you before I, before I do that. I'm going to be real with you. And I, I thought that this season that they were going to figure the kid out. I, I really did, especially being uh, – you know, being heralded as the featured guy, because he kind of just like bursted onto the scene, scenes, uh, scenes um, yeah, uh, last season. I remember that that game. Was that a game where he hit against y'all last year? Yeah. Was it sent to the overtime? Sent to the overtime. Sent to overtime. Sent to overtime. Sent to overtime. I was like, you know, that's luck. He threw it up. You know, it, it was luck. Uh, but look, man, this kid is legit, man. He is really legit, and I think he's a star. I think on the cusp of superstardom, uh, you know, obviously it's going to take a couple few years to get to that if he keeps elevating his game. Uh, he's special. There, there's no other way to put it. The kid is just special. Um, what he can do at his size, he's not overwhelmingly speedy, uh, but he's very deceptive in his be like he can change, you know, change directions. You know, he he knows how to change his speed. You know, you know that's what you do. You you. I don't think people say you're speedy, CJ, but you know you can change gears on him in a minute and just keep keep him off off balance. And he he has that element, man. And the way he passes, he's already a supreme passer. He's a top ten passer in his league, man. He is special. One kid I feel sorry for in all of this. And I know you ain't bringing this kid up, CJ, but 
Marvin Bagley, man, is like he's going to forever. You know, people think of Trey Young. People think of Trey Young and Luka Doncic. You know, those two because they were traded for each other. But you know, Sacramento passed on that kid, and you know, Marvin Bagley was you know was the guy that you know a lot of people were talking about. Um, you know, in college, and uh, he hasn't gotten off to the start Luka has, and it's really hard for me to to see him getting to that level of, of which Luca is already. And, you know, Sacramento, is, they, they, they've had some blunders throughout the draft. I'm not going to mention, mention the players, but they have had some blunders throughout the draft process last 10, last 10 years. I don't want to say this is a blunder, uh, but Luca is special, CJ, man. He, he is coming for real. I like watching him play. Um, I, I didn't see it coming. I, I completely, if, if I was an executive or scout for an NBA team, I would have completely dropped the ball on this one. You know, I, he, he's just really that good. It takes a real man to admit when he's wrong, man. So I appreciate you coming on the pull-up pod and admitting that you were wrong about him. Um, for what it's worth, I thought he was going to be good because I had seen him play against my brother in Europe, and I know how good my brother is. I've seen him dominate the EuroLeague as an 18-year-old, and people that don't understand European basketball don't understand the spacing the structure, how everyone can shoot. And I knew if you put him in an open floor that he would get at least, I said 25 and five. I said, he's going to have to get 25 and five. Did I think he was going to average a 30 point triple double? Absolutely not. Did I think that he was going to be this good this fast? Absolutely not. I thought it was going to take him some time to understand the game, the travel, the lifestyle, the lack of structure in the NBA. And I say lack of structure because when you're in Europe, you have two practices a day. You have to stay at a hotel sometimes for home games. Uh, there's there's a lot more structure and they kind of treat you like a college kid in Europe. Whereas in the mm-hmm. NBA, you're a grown man. You're on your own. You go to the hotel, you get your practice times, you do whatever you want until practice. You do whatever you want until the game. So I just thought it would take him more time to kind of figure it out and get comfortable. But with the spacing, with the swag, his ability to draw fouls, the rebounding, to start the breaks, um, he figured out his pace, like his pace... It's obviously evolved. He had good pace last year, but now his pace, his fast, slow, and slow fast is crazy. Mixed with shooting step back threes, that kind of changed the game for him this season. And uh, like you said before, like I knew he would be good, but this is this is something I didn't expect from a, a 19, 20 year old averaging a 30 point triple double almost a quarter into the season. That's that's special. This this is tough. I, I didn't see this coming. I kind of you know it, it, it puts a and th- this is why CJ. I, I, I hate to keep harping on it. This is why I really think it is so important. Now that there is not an East and West all-star format, it is so important to bring in the top 24 players, regardless of conference. This is, this is another guy. Like There's guys like yourself, Donovan Mitchell, who, you know, you keep saying they're on the cusp. You're on the cusp of, you know, being all-stars. And I know you probably don't care about it all that much. You know, maybe it's just me making a bigger deal of it than it should be. But I, I just don't think it's right. Why should – tell me this, CJ. Why should somebody in the Eastern Conference, right, when both y'all careers are set and done, say you were better than this Eastern Conference player who had seven all-stars, you know, throughout his career. Right. And you may have gotten only one throughout your career. And people are going to look at that, and, they, and, and, and the people who really didn't follow the league closely, they're just going to look at those all-star appearances. And remember, Hall of Fame, when it's time to get in that Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame induction, you know, they look at that stuff. Right. People are not going to sift through, well, 
such and such was in that conference. That's why he didn't get it. No, they're going to look at the all-star conferences, the all-star berths you have. So if the form, if there's no more East-West format, right? Right. It should be the top 24 because we're looking at guys like yourself, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic. Look like he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a six right now to make the all-star team. Why do you guys have to suffer based off of the team that drafted you? That makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. <laughs> It does not. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to keep banging on this drum until y'all really take this seriously. Like, it makes, why do y'all have to suffer because y'all weren't drafted by an Eastern Conference team? It makes no sense. And we already don't have an East-West format. Put the top 24 players in there. You heard it here from Chris Haynes first. <laughs> Chris Haynes has spoken. He has spoken, all right? He has spoken, man. I appreciate you coming on the pull-up pod, man. We didn't get to talk about Thanksgiving. Chris Haynes is in the kitchen prepping as of an hour ago, getting ready for Thanksgiving. I asked him if he was cooking. He said it was prepping, and he spoke the gospel. No, man. For all you listeners out there, if you can't cook, figure oh, out a way to contribute to Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, Cups. What else did you say? What else did you say to bring? Paper towels, napkins, you know. Silverware, plastic silverware. You know, see, they look. This is like Thanksgiving come once a year, and when, when, when I was a kid, and it's probably the same for you and everybody else. But when I was a kid, you know, Christmas was my favorite time of year. I for the obvious reasons, you're getting toys, you're getting gifts. But as you're getting older, those gifts kind of disappear. You know, coming to you, and then you're you're the one that's distributing the gifts. I know that's the same way for you right now. So Christmas fell off the radar a little bit for me because I ain't getting <laughs> gifts like I used to. And so now I'm a food lover. And so I get Thanksgiving once a year. And it's very important that people understand you bring your best dishes to the dinner table. You bring your best dishes, the best dishes only. And if you do not have a best dish, that's when you contribute by bringing drinks, Plastic spoons, silverware, and all that. You do not a uh, uh, a two star dish can mess up a whole Thanksgiving dinner. Don't be that one. And I'm sorry. <laughs> if I, and I'm sorry if I'm going to offend some people by saying this. Sorry if I offend anybody listening to this. But you better not damn bring a pumpkin pie to my house. That pumpkin pie will be used as a floor mat. It's sweet potato pie over here, baby. <laughs> And it, it is, it is five-star sweet potato pie. We ain't playing. You heard it here first. I already put my request in for Thanksgiving, man. Ham, turkey, dressing, candy oh yams, collard greens, baked macaroni and oh cheese, cornbread oh, oh, oh. with honey on top. And you know the cornbread got to have some hot sauce on the side. And oh, I ain't figured man. out the pie yet. I'm going to let wifey oh. choose the pie. I'm going to ask wifey. Yeah. I'm going to say, wifey, what oh type of pie do you want? <laughs> Chef said, you make whatever type oh. of pie you want, baby. So what, what's oh, it going to be? Oh. Is it going to be red velvet? Is it going to oh, be peach cobbler? Can oh, I get an amen? I just wanted to share that with all. I just wanted to share that with you. Hallelujah. And see, I'm hosting. I'm hosting Thanksgiving this time. I, I, rented, I rented this mansion, right? So I'm hosting about, I rented, I rented this mansion around the lake for about three days. So I'm hosting like 40, 50 people of my family members, right? And so I paid for this mansion. You know what I mean? Great scene, got a lake right behind it. Great, great, great venue, right? And so I put out a list right. for the family members like, okay, you got turkey, you got ham, 
And they got, <laughs> see, they, they, they got mad at me because of what I assigned myself to bring. You want to guess what I'm bringing? <laughs> like what my dish was? No, you, you bringing yourself. Cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce. I like They're it. like, hold on. They're like, hold on. We got stuffing. We got potato salad. We got turkey ham. And you bringing cranberry sauce that only comes in the can. I say, you know what? Guess what? Then you pay for this venue then. I pay for the damn venue. Don't forget about that. I can bring cranberry sauce. And it's more difficult than it looks. You got to get that cranberry out the can. <laughs> and you got to cut those slices in consistent slices that match up with every other slice. It's harder than what it looks like. Hey. You better than me, man, because if I pay for the venue, I'm bringing myself, okay? I'm bringing myself to the party. And I might I might bake you some cookies. Me and wifey might bake some sugar cookies because we like to do stuff like that. But that's about oh, it. Man. I tell you that much. Oh, I tell you that man. much. I paid in sweat up, equity. I, if man, I paid in sweat equity, you I'm best believe. That sweat equity is real, family. That's family for you. Yeah, but that's... That's family for you, but they are something else, man. But I, I'm going to let you go, man. I appreciate you spending some time with me, man. Um, let me know when you're out in Portland. Next, I got some Pinot for you, and uh, I'll, I'll be on your podcast when you need me, brother. I appreciate you, my guy. All love, man. You take care, man. Yes, sir, man. Once again, we want to wish Jordan a safe trip during the holidays, man. I hope you have a good Thanksgiving, Chris. I hope all our listeners out there have a great great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holidays. Blazer fans, stay patient because we coming. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to Pull Up! <laughs> <laughs>